Praise the Lord, saints. Truly, God is worthy to be praised. I'm going to go ahead and pray um, now that we've taken up the offering and then um, get into it. Father, we thank you, first of all, um, that you woke up, up this morning, that you've given us life and health and strength, um, that you've given us um, gifts to give um, towards the kingdom of God. And no, how, no matter how little or small, you know, as long as it was given from the heart, God, it will be blessed. So we thank you for all of the gifts that were given today. Pray that you would continue to increase um, so that your name might be glorified in the earth, specifically in this church. And we want, as we continue, God, to just give towards your mission and your kingdom, we'll forever give your name the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen. All right. I, I almost thought I got out of preaching today because Chris was... Uh, <laughs> I almost told him to go ahead. He can have it today. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I'm um, so grateful. Um, and he's right. I mean, we've got a lot of reasons, many reasons um, to praise God. I was actually listening to um, the radio this morning. And it was interesting because um, this lady, she was singing about gratitude. And she revealed that um, years ago, um, doctors did um, a neurological study and found that anxiety and praise cannot exist in the same place. And so where a person is grateful, anxiety goes away. And, and we know that um, when we praise God, we're releasing God to move on our behalf. And even in times that we face throughout the world, if we feel a sense of anxiety, fear, and worry, and we know that we have someone that we can go to as a source, and we know that no matter where we are in our world today, we can always give God praise and thanks um, just for everything he's done. And so um, I, just listening to him, I'm like, man, that's so true. Always got a reason to praise God. Um, no matter what circumstance we're in, God is worthy to be praised. I got to drink this water. Um, so today, um, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verses 12 um, through 20. And um, in this chapter, I believe last week, um, unfortunately, I was not able to be here, but Stephen covered um, some of the issues surrounding um, immorality. And um, today I'm going to continue on with this message and see what the Lord has to say um, to Paul in particular, what he has to say as God uses him to speak to the believers at Corinth. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, verses 12 through 20. I see my mother in the back. Go ahead and wave your hand, mom. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, don't get me in trouble today. I already feel nervous up here because I see you in the back. So, 
just behave. <laughs> um, so 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to, through 20. So um, here, Paul says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything you say, food for the stomach and stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is called, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. Whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have reached, received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Um, so just to give a little background, Paul is in these verses addressing some of the fleshly abuses that have been going on within uh, the Christian church and Christian liberty. Uh, some among the church at Corinth presumed that all physical appetites and passions were lawful, such as eating and drinking, and were freely able to just be gratif gratified. The city of Corinth was historically known to be a wicked city, sort of a high-powered Vegas, if you will. Uh, one preacher said, um, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. All right. They were widely known um, specifically for prostitution as it was legally and socially acceptable. It has become quite obvious in our study. You guys know we've been going through um, some of the issues that we've been seeing in the city of Corinth and how the culture have kind of impacted the believers at Corinth. And um, furthermore, um, in history, we know that, find out that in the Roman Greco world, it was often argued that what you did with your body didn't really matter because it was not going to last. Sort of a second class existence, if you will, not something that was very important. Paul wants to kind of correct this viewpoint and give them proper understanding for them, as he often does by first looking to Jesus Christ. And the truth of the matter is that because we are united by Christ, what is true about Christ becomes true about us. Christ lived a sacrificial life, and we also ought to live that same way too. Christ um, sought to um, place others before himself. 
And as a consequence, Paul is calling believers, even at Corinth, to consider not just ourselves, but other people. And the truth we find here is that we are united with Christ. And that not only we are we united in Christ in the present tense, but we know that one day um, the Bible gives us hope that we will be raised in Christ and in eternal glory forever. So here we are now, and um, Paul is dealing with some of these worldly philosophies and ideologies that seem to have plagued the mind of the believers. He, he deals, number one, with um, one of the popular sayings in verse 12. Uh, I have the right to do anything. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Essentially, Paul is saying here, while a thing may be lawful, it doesn't mean it's helpful. In other words, um, although we have Christian liberty, and he is not speaking here, um, he's not speaking here in an absolute sense, but he is speaking here to more of those things that are morally indifferent. Some of those things that are kind of resting in the gray area. Um, for example, um, in this culture, there was much debate on whether a person should eat beef or pork. And for Paul, or God for that matter, because God created everything, it didn't really make a difference. But uh, here Paul wants us to come to another level of understanding that in this time, if someone was offended by my actions, then I can restrict myself from participating in that Christian liberty so as to not offend my brother or my sister. Paul here is, is essentially getting to the point where he wants to bring believers to understand that our freedoms should be used in a way to advance the kingdom of God, to glorify God, and use our Christian liberty in a way that is not harmful to other people. And he goes further to clarify um, that I will not be mastered by anything. Now, although we have Christian liberty, there are some things that are in the world that have the capabilities of causing us to turn um, and become enslaved by them. Um, for example, um, and... And I know me, many people are indifferent on this issue, um, so I'll just say it like this. Uh, when it comes to drugs and when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to certain issues surrounding those areas, while some may say, hey, you know, one or two, I'll be all right, another may say that's, that's not something that I can do because that's something that God delivered me from. <laughs> and so... And so Paul is saying here that another and another thing is some of those issues and some of those areas um, can lead to us adopting some addictive tendencies, meaning that they do have the ability to bring us back under bondage or back under subjection to the flesh. And Paul is saying that um, I won't be mastered, so to speak, 
and I won't allow these things to bring me back unto bondage. And that is the same way that we ought to live. No matter what it is, we should not sort of be overly indulged in, in things that are of this world because they have no eternal purpose. And so that's, that's, that's what Paul wants us to get, get us to understand. And verse, verse number, let's go to verse number 13. He goes further and to say, you said, you say, um, food for the stomach and stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And we see here that um, there is still kind of this sort of this this do whatever I feel like. I know natural it's natural for people to have an appetite, right? It's natural for people to be hungry. It's natural for people to be thirsty. All of those things are okay. It's not, those are natural. I mean, they're, they're part of who we are. But um, the level of priority that we give these things in our lives is often the issue. Jesus says in Matthew 6.33 that we should seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, he's speaking there of material things and those things that we need of the world shall be added unto us. And so it's a matter here of priority that, that what's more important is that I seek God, that I seek righteousness, that I seek holiness. And in trusting God, I don't have to worry about uh, what I need on a day-to-day -day basis because God has everything that we need. And to fully trust and devote in God is to know that God is capable of providing. And so Paul here is, is showing that it's, it's a matter of priority here. And that those things that are temporal are not as important as those things that are eternal. All right. And so goes on to say the body, however. Now we've talked about some things that are kind of that rest in the gray. Um, they're morally indifferent, but here there is a distinction that sexual or morality, uh, th that those things are forbidden. That, that is not something that we're wrestling with or I've got to pray and ask God, is that right? Is that okay? No, Paul is saying these things we know for sure that that's forbidden. He says the body, however, is not designed, is not functioned, is not fashioned for sexual or immorality, or in other words, that's not God's original intent or design for our in the way that our body should be used. Uh, Paul wants them to understand. He he wants them to understand, and he says says here that uh, the body is not meant. It's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, all right? And we know that God created each and every one of us for a specific plan, a specific purpose, and he has a designed destiny for each one of our lives. God created us so that he can get glory out of our lives. Uh, Ephesians 2 and 9 says, for we are um, God's workmanship. And God created us. He created each and every one of you with a specific plan, 
with a specific purpose, and you have a destiny, you have a hope, you have a future, and you have a calling, not just in this world, but also in the next. And, 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 and he has to combat these ideologies again because they were plaguing um, some of these thoughts, some of these minds were creeping and seducing even those that were in the church. And so he has to make a clear distinction that the, the way that God has called us to function, he has to bring back into order, right? And so Paul here, he's continuing and he says, further, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. So not only does God have a present use for the purposes of our lives, we know that we are here to and created to give God glory, to um, advance the kingdom of God in the words of Kyle, and to, uh, and, and to bring people into the kingdom of God. We know that's, that's part of what God wants us to do. But he also gives us hope, again, in the future, that what's true about Christ becomes true about us, that he will raise us also from the dead in the same way that God's power raised Jesus from the dead. And 15, he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? says, do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ himself? Now, God did not create us freely to, to freely do whatever we decided to do with our bodies. Romans 12 and 1, Paul says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, and when we think about the mercies of God, we think about what he's done through um, justification, um, sanctification, and appropriation when God made atonement for each and every one of our sins. When we think of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice. He wants us to make ourselves available for the use of God. Um, and that this is, he says further, that this is our true and proper worship. And, and we see this reoccurring thing that God has designed us, created us, and made us for to worship him. And so he has to continually combat some of these issues that he's seeing within the church and bring them back into a greater understanding simply because there's a level of maturity that he wants them to come to. Um, verse verse um, Verse number 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute 
again, in this culture, prostitution um, was widely and socially acceptable. The Moody commentary states that um, often the financially elite commonly would have banquets called the convivial that included services of prostitutes. And it was unusual, it was not unusual for a father to throw a party and hire a prostitute when he turned 18. Now, the problem with uniting with these prostitutes is if you study the history and culture of that time, um, these prostitutes were often dedicated to false gods. And so to mix, intermix uh, the body of Christ and to unite them with prostitutes is to start uniting and mi mixing, uh, mixing the body of Christ with false idols. We, we, he, he, he comes to a point and says that uniting ourselves, uniting ourselves with them is essentially us misrepresenting the kingdom of God. It says, the two shall become one flesh. Now, operating and sexual morality, which is a broad term um, for all forms of sexual sins outside of God's original intentions for its use. The Greek word is pornea. It is to sell off one's um, sexual purity. We know that in proper use, and God designed marriage and sexual intimacy to be done in the confines of marriage. Um, it is to become, he says in Genesis, it is the two um, becoming one flesh. And any other use then of sexual intimacy outside of the way that God designed it to be was forbidden. So we see that this loose way of living uh, within the culture that has had, a, has had an impact on the church. This sort of seduction has um, even been increasingly present even within our uh, modern day culture, specifically in the entertainment field. You know, it's, it's become overly sexualized. We see this in media. Um, whether you're on, scrolling on Facebook, uh, at first it was just uh, something good. You can just connect with your friends, connect with your family, and, and now it's getting kind of hard to kind of block out some of that content um, when the original use for it uh, was to be in connection with family and friends. Now um, it's been used for all kind of worldly um, passions and lust. And so we're seeing some of that evil even now within our modern-day culture. And I think that personally, um, parents, it's very important for us um, to start monitoring what it is that kids are exposed to in these days. It says the two shall become one flesh. 
But, in contrast, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Paul, verse 18, tells us how to deal with sexual morality. And it's, 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 very, it's very profound. It's very prolific. And simply flee from it. <laughs> Run from it. Um, the word flee here denotes as one who is a fugitive that's on the run. And, and don't stroke the flame, so to speak. Like, don't play with it. Run from it. <laughs> I think that's plain as it gets. <laughs> Many of y'all, if you study the Bible, you know there's a story um, of a man by the name of Joseph. And he was in the presence of um, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's wife um, desired him. And <laughs> the Bible says that Joseph took off running. And although uh, he did the right thing, that, that, that did not mean that doing the right thing didn't get him um, locked up into prison. And so I said that to say that although making the right decisions is the right thing to do, that does not mean that, that that's what, um, that it's always going to um, consequence a favorable outcome. Sometimes doing the right thing lands us into trouble, especially in a countercultural world who is anti-God. Uh, we live in a way that um, people think is sort of archaic. They think it's traditional. Um, when we talk about family and this family structure and roles and we talk about what's going on in our world today, we know that our world is totally against everything that what God is saying. And you guys know recently that there was laws released that marriage can be defined pretty much anybody. <laughs> man, 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 woman. And we know biblically that that is not accurate. And as Christians, as believers, when we speak out, when we stand up, when we live in the truth of God's word, uh, people aren't always going to be happy or excited about it. Even see this played out with the Hebrew boys when um, King Nebuchadnezzar wanted him, them to bow. Um, but their un, unwavering commitment and their desire to live for God got them into some trouble. But we see in the end, it was God that delivered them and, and God at the end was glorified. And so we thank God that even though we stand on truth, we stand on righteousness in a countercultural world, God has all power to deliver us even in our world today. And that's encouraging simply because, and it gives me faith and it gives me courage to stand up for what's right. It gives me faith to know um, even as we're learning throughout these passages, that um, we have hope in this life and we have hope in the next life. So we don't actually have to worry about what the world thinks about who we are, uh, what people say about us, but we can stand up with everything that God has anointed us to be 
and saying we are going to stand for righteousness, for holiness, and for God, the truth of God's word. Um, Paul, verse 19 says, do you not know, this is important um, here, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Um, he speaks here to uh, our function. God created us. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. I'm going to say that again. God created us. The Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of us. You know, there was a time when people focus not only the bodily temple, but they focus on the physical temple. And they would often put more emphasis on the physical temple and not the body to the point where we became overly um, religious and not knowing that God not only wants to live in here, but he wants to live on the inside of us. And it, we were created and designed to be that way. It was God's intention for us to be indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the problem was that um, and uh, mankind, we know that in the beginning, we fell into sin. And it kind of uh, threw everything off God's design. Um, the way God intended us to operate, everything began to come out of order. But uh, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So things were thrown out of order, but God brings things back in order through his Son, Jesus Christ. And for us to function and live in the way that God originally in intended for us, to live, we need to have faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and Ephesians, I believe, is 2 and 8, for we are saved by grace through faith and not by any works. It is the gift of God. And so God has given us this precious gift of Jesus Christ, number one, and two, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit. Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us into all truth. Y'all talk back to me. And so we know that with the help of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, I believe it's around the 13th verse, talked about, if you walk in the Spirit, you will not gratify the works of the flesh. And, and see, and, and God is bringing things, things were out of order, and God is bringing things back in order. And in our unite with Christ, we know that we are not only living for this life, we're not just living for material wealth, houses, cars, clothes, and money. Not just living to uh, please ourselves, but God has a greater purpose, design, and destiny, and a future for our life. And so we ought to thank God and praise God that while things were out of order, God brought things back in order 
through his son, Jesus Christ. And if anybody in the sound of my voice has ever dealt or is dealing with any anxiety, depression, sexual addiction, immorality, whatever it is that you're going through, God has, a, has the ability to bring your life back into order. Bible says he's got all power. He's got all power in hand. He's created heaven and earth. He's, the earth is the Lord's, the fullness, and they that dwell Therein, in other words, the earth belongs to him, the world belongs to him, and it goes further to say that the cattle on a thousand hills belong to him. So that speaks not only to our future, our present, our hope, but it also speaks to our provision. And so if I would have faith in God and believe in God, I don't even have to worry about tomorrow. I don't have to worry about today. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to eat, how I'm going to live, because God has already taken care of everything that I need. And I want to preach to you and tell you today that in Christ, Christ is the answer. Christ is all that you need. Uh, God, the amazing part about God is that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He never changes. He, he, he never changes. He's always the same. Uh, politics change. Presidents change. Governors change. Uh, life changes. Circumstances changes. But I can be rested and assured that God never changed. That's amazing because that means that God is consistently consistent. He's faithfully faithful. Jeremiah says that great uh, his faithfulness, he's new, his grace, his faithfulness is new every morning. I messed that up, but you understand what I'm saying. And so we ought to be excited that in God we have everything I need. And I'm going to close here, but you also got to understand that when you die, this is not the only life that you're going to see. When you give to your life to the Lord, what's true about Christ becomes true about you. Jesus sacrificed, gave his life, suffered, bled, and died and was raised on the third day. And if anybody on the room wants to experience that same love, that same grace, that same resurrection power, just go ahead and give your life to the Lord. And you can have hope. As Paul says, that we have hope that one day we're going to get up and we're going to rise and we're going to be with Christ for the rest of our life. God bless you.